Good morning, everybody. Doesn't it just brighten your heart just to see those wonderful smiles? Thanks so much, Timberline, for being a church that responds uh, to opportunities like this, and uh, that's happening soon, so let's be thinking about that. Well, uh, you can see this set behind me, and uh, we've been preparing since July for a chariot, which is happening this afternoon with Searchlight Theatre Company and members of uh, the cast are also from Timberline. Uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, and then tomorrow night at 7 p.m. as well. It's a full-length play. Let me tell you, in case that scares you, it's not highbrow or stuffy. It's a powerful story. Uh, there are some great fun moments in it as well. It's the story of Eric Liddle, uh, the, uh, the Olympic runner who made some uh, wonderful choices. And uh, people have asked me, is this good for young children, young people? Absolutely, because it talks about a man who lived by his principles. Great to bring friends to as well, if they don't normally come to church. And uh, it recently was toured in Canada. Here's just a couple of reactions from some of the audience members there. great story of passion, determination, dedication, and, and faith. It's just super special, but we laugh so much too. It's just really amazing. Fabulous time. Would recommend it for anybody. Very inspiring. And uh, I'm kind of scared today because I'm in it, and I've been I've been learning my lines since yesterday. So. Uh, so anyway, tickets available as you go out today and uh, hope to see you there. It's been wonderful to have our friends from Searchlight, Michael, David, and Kelly, uh, with us for the last two weeks. And uh, as we're continuing this Ten Commandments series this weekend, the heart of the Ten Commandments is about relationship with God and relationship with each other, loving your neighbor. And so I, I told them what we were looking at, and they've written another piece to help us to really get it. So would you give a massive Timberline welcome to Searchlight Theatre Company? Thank you. Hello there, my name's Roger Lamont. I am an inspirational speaker, <laughs> worship leader, singer-songwriter. Uh, many of you have come through my, uh, my seminars on how to love yourself more. And I uh, know many of you have read my book, Humility. It can wait till heaven. <laughs> so I... Uh, Recently, I got married, as Ephesians 5 tells us, when uh, a husband loves his wife, he truly loves himself, and my wife really is loved, I can assure you of that. But we've got John here, and John's coming through uh, a new seminar I'm doing on loving your neighbor, that first half of that love your yes. neighbor verse. And so, John, would you tell us a little bit about your neighbor? Love your neighbor. Well, yes, love your neighbor. It's not easy to love your neighbor. I mean, look at your neighbor now. It's not easy, is it? But you... <laughs> You haven't met our next-door neighbours at 272. Martin and Marilyn, they're called. I'll tell you the type of people they are. Martin, he always parks his motor car just edging onto my side of the driveway, you know? He never washes his car either. He always leaves his trash in bags, spills out all over my side of the drive as well, never mows his lawn all summer. He's that kind of person. Elizabeth... 
Elizabeth? That's my wife. All right. You know what she said to me? Those neighbors of ours, three years, three years we've been living next door to them. We seem to go through neighbors quite quickly. I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> three years we've been sending Christmas cards to that couple. Do you know something? Never had one back in return. Never had one back. Elizabeth, that's my wife. Right. You know what she said to me the other week? No. Strike them off the Christmas card list, love. Strike them off the list. <laughs> so I have. Interesting. Yes, I thought so. I mean, have you ever thought of trying to just sort of get to know them a little bit, look for opportunities where you could maybe... Ah, oh, I'm Good seeing something that, here. Good, you that, Roger. Yes, you see. Elizabeth, that's my wife, wife yes. and I, we go to the local church, the Happy Valley Congregational Church, and they've told us, get to know your neighbours. So, Elizabeth, that's my wife, decided that we were going to have a coffee morning the other week. We Good sent idea. out hundreds and hundreds of invitations all around the neighborhood. Great, great. How did it go? Nobody came. Oh, Nobody so came near. I've been eating Oreo biscuits for months now, I'll tell you that much. <sighs> I'm really sorry to hear that. But I mean, I mean, really, tell me a little bit more about this Martin and Marilyn, just so I can oh, picture them. Yes, well, I can tell you something. Like I said earlier, he never mows his front lawn. So last summer, I lent him my number two lawnmower. I've got three or four. You can never have too many. I left a little sticky note on it saying, please use this lawnmower. Give it a walk around your backyard anytime. He didn't use it. Put it in his shed. Now, Elizabeth, that's my wife, she said, it's theft. Tantamount to theft, she said. Theft. She shakes her head quite a lot when she, she does, says that. She does, yes. yes. Go round and complain, she said. But she doesn't know what they're like. They're frightening the pair of them. Muscles, beard, tattoos everywhere. He's no better. <laughs> so the coffee morning didn't work, and getting to know them sounds difficult. What I think you need here, I think you need a new tract. I think you, you need to go big go or big. go home. I think you need something... I think you need something large here. Funny you should say that. We decided the other week to go for a murder mystery night at our house. A murder mystery. Oh, yeah. I met Martin at the end of the driveway, stood by his bags of trash, and I said to him, listen, we're having a murder mystery night next Friday. I'm going to be the victim. What did he say? He said, I'll be there. What time does it start? <laughs> I could understand that. Yes. You've got to get the right event sometimes. Sometimes you do need the right event. That's oh, it was a important. big success. Oh, they really? came, oh, they enjoyed it. Yes, yes, they stayed rather late. He seemed to enjoy seeing me laid out on the dining room table all night. He even brought his own lead piping with him for the occasion. <laughs> Marilyn sat in the corner eating Oreo cookies all evening. Ah. And Elizabeth, that's my wife, wife yeah. she said to me in the kitchen when we were doing the sort of washing up, she said, John, our neighbours are just like us. Just like us. <laughs> and they are, in a way. Yeah, I mean, he's got a ripped T-shirt and jeans, and he's need a, a vacation, he's got a troublesome teenager, he needs a new lawnmower. But otherwise, they're just like us. And before they left, we've agreed to meet up again. I'm going round there next Wednesday uh, with a bucket of water and some soap. I'm going to help him wash his car. Yeah. And you've got to start you've got somewhere, to start haven't somewhere, you? Yes. No. Anyway, about half past 11, 12 o'clock, they left. I watched them go down the driveway. Martin with his lead piping, Marilyn with 27 packets of Oreo cookies in her hands, and off they went. And then Elizabeth, 
Elizabeth? My wife. Oh, the wife, yes, of course. We went to bed, going up the stairs. We stopped on the top step. She turned to me, and do you know what she said to me? Do you know what she said? Do you know what she said? She said, put them back on the Christmas card list, love. Put them back no, on no, the no. list. That's progress, everyone. That's progress. I think well done. <laughs> you notice they mentioned Oreo biscuits at one point. We talked about that before, haven't we? In England, a, a biscuit is a cookie. That's the reason for the confusion. I was really confused when I came out here and someone offered me biscuits and gravy. <laughs> well, we're going to continue our series in the Ten Commandments, thinking about prospering with a clear conscience, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and then a story from Luke. So let's take a look. Exodus 20 and verse 15 says, You shall not steal. And then Luke 19 and verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree, a sycamore fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. It happens. It's happened to all of us. Uh, you call your bank, your credit card company, the utility company, and you want to speak to someone and they ask you those security questions, don't they? You love that moment. Uh, what's your mother's maiden name? Uh, what city were you born in? What is your pet's favorite color? All that kind of stuff to truly identify that it is you. I called my cell phone company recently, and it was all going rather well. I remembered my dog's name, so we were having a conversation when suddenly the lady uh, at the, on the other end of the line, she said, uh, she said, Mr. Lucas, she said, your wife is the primary account holder on this account. And I said, oh, okay. She said, uh, is she there with you or is she with you? And I said, yes, uh, she's with me. We're, we're still together. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for asking. 35 years, actually. Good of you. Uh, she said, no, no. Is she there with you? And I said, well, yes, yeah, she is. And then this lady asked me a stunning question. She said, and you are your wife's husband, are you? And I'm like, yeah, that's why I call her my wife. But the reason I went through these, these hoops is because, uh, obviously, security is a massive issue. Um, just this week, I got a letter. Kay and I got a letter, and on the outside of it, it said that if I didn't reply 
uh, respond to this letter, I could be subject to a $5,000 fine, a $2,000 fine, and two years in prison. I open the letter, it's a scam. Can you imagine how people are afraid as a result of that? Three weeks ago, I got a letter from my bank telling me my credit card had been defrauded. The letter was a fraud. We are living with so much of this stuff. Identity theft, one in six Americans say that they've had their financial <coughs> information, their bank details, or their credit card numbers stolen. And the damage that comes from this is not just economic. It goes beyond that. It damages us. The person who steals is damaged. Dante, in his Divine Comedy, explores the effect of stealing on the thief. And he, he depicts the person who steals as not having a stable bodily shape. It's a clever device to say, when you steal stuff, you don't know the boundaries. You don't know who you are, what's yours, what belongs to somebody else. It, it damages our community relationships, where many of us can live in fear. It can, it can damage our personal relationships, our marriages, our friendships, our church life, some of us walk around with our emotional security system permanently set to on. And it's highly sensitive. And we're just waiting for someone to offend us, irritate us, rip us off. And it can damage our relationship with God as well. Because we have learned there's no such thing as a free lunch. And then God comes along and says... Let me freely forgive your sins due to amazing grace. And we're like, really? If the deal's too good to be true, it's probably not true. And part of the, one of the casualties of growing up, if you will, is that we, we lose the innocence of being able to receive. I've, I've talked about my grandkids before. Stanley, our oldest, a few months ago back in England, I made the mistake of taking him to a toy shop. How, how does he know what the most expensive toy is? How does he know that? And he looks at it, and without any hesitation, he said, Granddad, I believe you should buy me that toy. No hesitation. If, if I give Stanley a candy bar, he doesn't say, No, no, no. I am not worthy to receive this candy bar. For I have not cleaned my room since birth. I cannot take it. He takes it. You watch an adult when you give them a gift when it's not their birthday or Christmas. Oh, I, feel, I feel awful. Didn't get you anything. Let me, pay, let me pay you. And then that translates into our relationship with God. And he says, let me offer you amazing grace, forgiveness. And we're like, really? There's more damage done than financial. So let's have a look at this. If you're following along in the bulletin, follow with me. First of all, let's know that stealing is epidemic. It's epidemic. Shoplifting. One estimate says that one in every 52 shoppers carries something out of the store that they didn't pay for. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce, 4 million people were caught shoplifting uh, last year. But they estimate that for every one that's caught, 35 get away with it. That means 140 million incidents of shoplifting every year. 
And we might be tempted to think, well, yeah, it's because of hard times. Only 10% of those caught shoplifting would be considered to be in need. It's not simply about need. And then there's petty theft. Petty theft. One new hotel, I can't believe this, but one new hotel reported that in their first 10 months of operation, they lost 38,000 spoons, 18,000 towels, 355 silver coffee pots, and get ready for this one, and 100 Bibles. <laughs> Bible theft is on the increase, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> then there's employee theft, employee theft, where we take stuff from our workplace. It's estimated that that costs $120 billion annually. The FBI uh, says that employee theft is the fastest growing crime in America. Then there's time theft, where you call in sick and you're not. The estimate for that is 500 billion a year. And the danger is we can kind of almost legitimize this with a Robin Hood mentality. Everyone remember Robin Hood? Um, some of you are going, Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Which, which book of the Bible was he in? <laughs> now, that's the dude in Nottingham Forest, all that. Sheriff of Nottingham, Sherwood Forest, I think it was. Yes, I'm just taking it from the man. It's my right. I heard, I heard this week of a bank robber who walked into a bank, totally true story, and the teller that he went to had just run out of cash. So he's got a gun holding up the teller, and she says, I'm really sorry, but my, my, my till is empty. And as he rushed out of the bank, um, Gun in hand, he yelled back, I'm going to file a complaint against you. <laughs> After the first service this morning, I have permission to share this story. A gentleman came up to me who works here in retail, right here in Colorado, and he said they caught a shoplifter recently, and he said uh, this guy had a big knife that he'd stolen, and they said, what, what you steal the knife for? And he said, it's a Christmas gift for my mum. Hi, Mom. Here's a, here's a weapon I stole for you. Here's a challenge. Forget the extreme examples. Have we been stealing? Because there's plenty of ways to do it. Have we been stealing? Secondly, there's the root causes of theft. The root causes of theft, greed, and the cult of the instant. Greed and the cult of the instant. We want more, don't we? And we want it right now. We're on wireless, aren't we? How, how many of us use wireless internet access? Just raise your hand. That's good. Okay, thanks for that. How many of you never raise your hand, whatever the question is from the preacher? It's <laughs> good. Healing. That's great. There's about to be a wave of pain in this place, as I mentioned dial-up internet access. Does anyone remember dial-up? You, you dialed in, didn't you? Your computer made all these vomiting noises. <laughs> and you finally got online about three weeks later, didn't you? And now, you can have it now. And that's the way, that's the way we are. We want it now. Now, there's some nobility in wanting to provide for our families to, to have a, a sense of ambition. 
And it's good as well, when I talk about wanting it now, it's quite good to want good service. And I need to be careful with what I'm about to say, because a lot of British people watch this online. And when I go back there, <laughs> they're waiting for me. <laughs> I love America. American service is good. You go to a restaurant, it's, hello, we're so thrilled to see you. What can we do to make you happy? And you go, sometimes you go to some British restaurants, it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you littering our facilities with your body? <laughs> it's good to want good service, but you know what? We've twisted ambition into feeding a black hole of want. And we want it on our time frame right now. What, whatever happened to saving for stuff? And you say, well, interest rates are terrible. Yeah, they are, but that's not the point. It's the credit card culture where if I want it, I want it now. Buy it now, pay later. There's a credit card company in the UK right now, short-term loans, interest rate, annual percentage rate, 5,000%. Give it to me now. Have we bought into the lie? Thirdly, there's systemic theft, systemic theft and pillaging the environment. Stealing is not just about individual stealing. There are, there are big businesses that rip off with their marketing. They rip off their employees. Uh, there are governments that place exorbitant interest rates on poor countries. There are industries which function on sweatshops where basic principles of labor law are totally disregarded. This is, a, this is a systemic problem. Martin Luther, years ago, because this is nothing new, said there are gentlemen swindlers or big operators, far from being picklocks and sneak thieves who loot a cash box, they sit in office chairs and are called great lords and honorable good citizens. And yet with a great show of legality, they rob and steal. And, and then there's another form of stealing. And I'm going to use a word that's going to press a hot button for some people, but we need to press through. Environmental stealing. Environmental stealing. Now, I know that for some of us, we react to that word because we've allowed the word to be stolen from us by politicians and by extremists. And we've surrendered the word. I want to just say that if anyone should have a balanced, appropriate, uh, uh, response to the environment it should be the Christians because we don't worship the planet but we worship the God who made the planet one of the first things one of the first things you can tell about a person is the way that they introduce themselves they often they're up front about their primary characteristic when they say hi hello my name is Jeff and I have a crooked nose I can see round corners with this baby what does God say at the beginning of the Bible? Hello, my name is God. I'm the creator. His opening line is creation and creativity. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so God wants us to lead the way, not to surrender the agenda to the extremist or, or, or start getting irritated and saying, well, that's a political issue. It's a theological issue. It's a biblical issue. And if I'm going to stand here, and, and, and I'm sorry to get passionate about it, but it upsets me 
that somehow we've allowed ourselves to be robbed of a fundamental issue. And this do not steal stuff, look at the first five books of the Bible and see how much God says about the land. God loves the land. And we don't own it. We're tenants. And God wants us to be people who with a balanced, responsible approach to life we're not stealing from our grandchildren as we plunder the planet and then pass the bill with interest to them. Anyone say amen? amen? Stealing. There's lots of ways to do it. Number four, dethroning the gods of greed daily. Dethroning the god of greed daily. Generosity and giving. Generosity and giving. I've got a friend. His name is Adrian Plass. And uh, we were traveling together recently, and I said, Adrian, uh, what do you do for a hobby? What do you like to do to relax? And he said, well, Jeff, he said, when I've got a bit of time just to relax and there's nothing on TV, he said, I quite like to balance things on my head. <laughs> I said, give me an example. He says, you know, coffee tables, <laughs> pot plants, bottles. He said, I just like to, he said, I, I, I just balance stuff on my head. I said, I said, fine, that's perfectly normal. <laughs> I said, why'd you do that? He said, well, I quite like the reaction I get from my family when they walk into the room and I'm sitting there with another item of furniture on my head. Huh. So I was doing it recently. He said, I had a coffee table, a pot plant, and a bottle on my head. And a guy, <laughs> a guy came over to fix one of our windows. <laughs> and he looked through the window. <laughs> And he saw me with his stuff on my head. And he said, we exchanged a look between us, whereby we both knew that neither one of us would ever mention this again. <laughs> I wish, I wish I, I could just get giving and generosity perfectly balanced in my life permanently. Got it. But it's a daily thing. Are you like me? It's daily. I just think I got it figured out and then I wake up again. And I think we need to make daily choices about this. Kent Hughes says, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. It's a daily thing. A Jew recently asked a Christian, what's this stewardship stuff you talk about? And the Christian said, well, it's when we ask people to give of their time, treasure, and talents. And the Jew said, why would you ask? Tell them. He said, we Jews, if you're a Jew, you give. That's it, flat out. Have we bought into the world's value? We talk about the world's value system. Have we bought into the world's value system where there are certain subjects you can never talk about? And I know it can be overdone. The Bible doesn't just say don't steal. Ephesians 4, 28, there's a positive exhortation there. Look at this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. It's not just a negative don't steal. It's a positive, a giving, generous attitude. You ever been out for dinner with somebody or another couple and you know that when the check arrives, for some reason, they always need to use the bathroom. 
It's amazing. It is amazing. And they don't come back for 45 minutes. Oh, oh, did you get the check or? Oh, thank you. You shouldn't have done that. What do you mean I shouldn't have done it? You were camping in the bathroom, so I would. <laughs> Genuine generosity. Giving rather than taking. Well, lastly, with this we'll conclude, putting things right. Putting things right. Dinner at Zacchaeus' house. Dinner at Zacchaeus' house. I, I love the Zacchaeus story. Let me help you to imagine the Zacchaeus story. Danny DeVito in a tree. <laughs> Got it now? You can see it, can't you? Zacchaeus. Uh, he is a rip-off artist, this guy. There were three major tax-gathering points in Israel in Jesus' time. Jericho was one of them, and Zacchaeus had the Jericho franchise. It was a custom town, a border town, lots of cash, and the Romans did not employ tax collectors. They just sold them the franchise for a huge sum, and then they could rake it in by extortion. Zacchaeus was one of those guys. The Jews believed that a tax collector could never be forgiven, never be included in the kingdom community, was an outcast. If he entered a house, it was rendered unclean. That's one of the reasons Jesus said, this is the son of Abraham. He's saying, I'm counting him back in again now. But something remarkable happens over dinner. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Anyone ever, imagine if somebody came up to you today, you're on your way out here, and they said, oh, oh good to see you. You're buying me lunch today. Jesus did that, but it was a life-transforming lunch because Zacchaeus stands up and he makes this remarkable statement as a result of being around Jesus. Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Give away half, capital returned, 400%. The law required that he gave back what he'd stolen plus 20%. You see, when you're around Jesus, it turns the grabbing minimalist into a generous giver. And he makes restitution. Now, I know restitution is when you restore what you've, been st what you've stolen. I, I know that that's not always possible might have been many years ago. But you know, there are times when it is possible. And when that is the case, we don't need to sit around and just say, well, it's okay, I've been forgiven. Because that person we stole from still hasn't got their stuff. Now, this is not to heap guilt or shame on anybody. We need God's help with this. We need to help each other and talk this through. But it might be that just as Zacchaeus stood up and said, I am taking care of business. It might be that in response to this commandment in God's big 10, that there is some business that he wants us to take care of. Don't steal. Let's pray. First of all, Father, thank you for the welcome 
that Zacchaeus got from Jesus that day. It shows us, Lord, that whatever our history, we can sit down at a table with you, a table that can lead to change lives. We realize, Lord, that we live in a rip-off culture where every day our alert, our senses of alertness are on. We're on the watch. We're on the lookout. And we realize, Lord, that that can affect our friendships, our marriages. Thank you for the sense of your presence here right now. Pray, Lord, for friendships and marriages which have been marred by suspicion. Where people have been previously ripped off. And now they live in readiness of it happening again. I believe, Lord, that you're doing a deep work. That you're bringing healing to wounds. We pray, Lord, about this ability to receive grace where we struggle, where we say that, that can't be true. Forgiveness? Grace? Some of us, Lord, are really good at beating ourselves up and reminding ourselves continuously of that which you have decided not to remember because you've forgiven us. We live shrouded with shame. I want to pause for a moment. And if that's true of you, as our heads are bowed, you struggle with accepting God's forgiveness. You keep reminding yourself over and over. Some of us, we've been doing it for years. Maybe about one lurid episode. We just won't let it go. I wonder as our heads are bowed if that's true for you. Can I ask you just to lift your hand for a second and then put it down again? Lots of us responding. So... Can I just ask you, just to keep your hand in front of you open. Doesn't, you don't have to lift it up, but just keep it open. There's an old hymn that says, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. I pray for my friends, fellow family members, brothers and sisters here today, Lord, who struggle to have open hands to accept your grace whatever the reasons are for that I pray you'll do a deep work your grace is amazing it's the best deal there's ever been and we revere you Lord Jesus for the price you paid it's a free gift for us but it costs you everything we worship you just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Put your hands down if you would. Here's a really tough question. And no one else is looking around. There's no cameras on anybody. I wonder how many of us would say, actually, I, this stealing thing has hit me. Because there's a, in some way, I, I've been doing that. It's been a pattern there. And there are some things that I need to put right. Can I ask that we be brave and decisive about this? Zacchaeus stood up at a table and said, I've got some business to take care of. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I do want to ask you to be decisive. If as a result of today's message, you know there's some business to take care of, can I ask you please just to slip up your hand for a moment? Would you do it right now? 
again, no one needs to fear a lot of us responding. Thank you for being bold. You can put your hands down. Lord, banish condemnation, but let conviction be strong in us. And give us, each one of us that are responding, wisdom to know steps forward to take care of business. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, I talked earlier about dethroning the God of greed, and we have an opportunity now to dethrone that God and lift up Christ as we give in our offerings. Guests, you don't need to give. Just pop that connection card in if you would. And if you also, if you have an open spaces uh, faith promise card, put that in the offering as well. We're going to sing about blessing the Lord. Let's bless him with our songs and with our gifts. For a moment. I don't know whether any of you will remember that about six or seven weeks ago, we sang that song together and I came and I stood right here and I said, whatever we're facing, whatever you're facing this week, bless the Lord. Whatever you're worried about, bless the Lord. Anyone remember that? Just, you know what the, one of the challenges about being a preacher is you have to live with what you say. It's so easy to just say it. Bless the Lord, whatever, whatever may come my way. And I stood here that Sunday on the Monday, Kay and I got on a plane. And in the early hours of Monday morning, please don't come and ask me about it. I can't tell you it's personal. Don't ask Kay. But on Monday morning, we walked into the worst week of a decade. It was horrendous. Horrendous. And I'm thinking, I told my lovely family at Timberline to bless the Lord. Whatever happens got back to England the following Sunday I'm preaching at a church in Nottingham actually where Robin Hood lives <laughs> walked in and the worship team kicked in and their first song was this song 10,000 reasons bless the Lord and I'm standing there sobbing saying bless the Lord bless the Lord Bless the Lord. And I say this to you because I know, I'm looking into your eyes and I know as a pastor, some of us are going through some stuff. You're worried and you're confused. But will you say with me today, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I give you an opportunity before you go into another week to together with your family here we say bless some of you might want to just raise a hand you don't have to I don't push you around here but some of us say with a hand of surrender raised bless the Lord of my soul and all that is within me Bless his holy name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said with clarity and firmness, 